Hi, I'm Jason Zakowski, and I'm here with Shannon Riley Coiner on Backyard Pet Talk. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast. It's a little different than some of my other podcasts because you are not a dog trainer. You I are am not. not a client. I am not. <laughs> but you have a really fascinating background. And when I learned about you, I thought it would be great to have you on to educate kids and, and really um, emphasize our kids corner on truly force free. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me before we get started a little bit about your background and what you do and, and how you started your podcast. <laughs> so I am a, I'm a chemistry teacher. I have a science degree uh, in chemistry and a second degree in advanced education. So that's my day job. I instruct high school kids, academic chemistry at a high school. Uh, and then in my side gig, I run, oh man, what a, a whole bunch of stuff. I run the, the science podcast. So I have a podcast called the science podcast and I am the dog dad to Bunsen and Beaker, the science dogs on social media. And we have a, a massive Twitter account with over 130,000 followers. Um, our science account is one of the biggest accounts on Twitter and our engagement beats out other science communicators like Bill Nye, the science guy. So it's, it's become this big juggernaut on Twitter and the science podcast is an extension of that. That is so awesome. And I think it's great that it's your dogs that are part of the promotional there. They are. I am the <laughs> pup. I'm like the Jim Henson. I'm running the Muppet show. Uh, but nobody wants to see me. They want to hear the science from the dogs. Because because dogs are such a big part of our lives. But people might think, why am I interviewing a, a chemist, you know, about <laughs> dogs? But what I love educating kids about science and something for me, I'm a vet tech, so I'm a biologist and I also have a vet tech degree. And then I happen to also be a behavior consultant. And for me, though, it's the science that really got me. Like when I was in high school, I loved biology and I mm -hmm. loved all that, but I also loved animals. And everybody said, you have to be a vet. So I thought that was my path, which it wasn't. And at that time, there wasn't really a lot of science around behavior and no. studying behavior at all. So we just thought these dogs just did these things and we just forced them and we popped them and we punished them. And then we controlled them. So they did exactly what we wanted. And they, you know, but that didn't, it wasn't reality. They weren't doing what we wanted. And sometimes that kind of training was causing more problems than it was helping. And so what I love is how science is not just like, sometimes when people think of science, it's like what they think of with you. It's just chemistry, biology, you know, blah, <laughs> you know, but yeah. now it's science is also in the psychology science and, and things like that. And I know because you do have the academic science part with the chemistry, but you also are engaging with your dogs, mm -hmm. which is a crossover of that biology and that psychology. And, and you really get to interview it. And I know with your podcast, you've, I think you said you've had some biologists and some psychologists or behaviorists kind of things on your podcast before. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on my podcast, I, we break down something topical in science and then uh, that could be anything from black holes to some endangered species. And then we have a pet science segment. So I look at the latest research that's going on with our pets. And I'm a dog guy, so I am definitely biased towards the dog research. Uh, <laughs> but we, we throw some stuff in there about cats and birds sometimes too. And then we have an interview. We interview an expert guest. And 
those expert guests, sometimes I get to talk to them about dogs. Sometimes they're experts on dog behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's been really fascinating. Um, scientists that study how the puppy brain develops or the best training you could do for your dog. I, I talked to Dr. Zazie Todd, who just wrote a book mm -hmm. called Fetch. And she's all about the, the positive reinforcement um, and dispelling the myths of those old, you know, punishment type training methods. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. So we do talk about that on the podcast. And then the science that we get to talk about with pets does touch on some of the training aspects too, which is really fun. And for sure. Have you used some of it with Bunsen? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so I, our, our dogs, Bunsen and Beaker are well-trained and we, we go to a professional trainer in small class settings and they're all about the positive reinforcement and any new tips and tricks I pick up from the experts. I use the dogs as guinea pigs. And the funny thing is we have a cat now and, uh, Dr. Todd has written, just came out a book called Purr, mm -hmm. and I read that and I've been trying to use the tips and tricks on the cat and it's been working pretty good. So isn't it fascinating? People don't think cats can be trained, but you, you can. can train. Yeah. I've had, my cats have been clicker trained and I started clicker training them before I knew like that cats could be clicker trained. So <laughs> yeah. probably in the nineties, you know, my, I started learning about clicker training with one of my dogs and one of my cats was really shy and she didn't like to come out when people came out. So, and, but when we were home, she always like, and I started clicker training her and believe it or not, it actually helped with her confidence. And then she started coming out to show her tricks to all of anybody who came over to visit. Uh, and it was like he had, she had a focus that she didn't have to worry about those people. And then eventually she became super social, almost obnoxiously social, <laughs> but I, you know, where she always wanted everybody to pay attention to her. But yeah. that's one of the things I love about the positive training science as well is the the emotional aspect of it and how it really does bring out confidence and fun. And, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a fun way of training. And you can almost see the difference when a dog is trained or animal is trained with a positive reinforcement versus the traditional punishment. Yeah. Methods. Well, and, and the evidence is overwhelming that positive reinforcement is faster. The retention's better. And then there's no backsliding there. You could almost de untrain a dog with the wrong reinforcements. So yeah, like we've talked about that on the podcast, like it, it's overwhelming evidence for positive reinforcement training. Exactly. I mean, that's one thing I tell my clients when they're, if they're a crossover and for anybody who's not sure what a crossover is, that's where somebody has used the traditional training and they're learning positive reinforcement. So we, we call it a crossover because you're going from two totally different learning theories and, and, and way of learning. And so when someone's a crossover person, I tell them, if you accidentally pop well, choke chain or a pinch collar, or you accidentally shock when your dog did something good, you can cause a lot of damage and confusion Big, yes. and, yeah. and they don't understand. And then they shut down and then they get labeled stubborn and it causes this whole snowball effect. Mm -hmm. But if you accidentally treat at the wrong time, or you accidentally <laughs> click at the wrong time, your yeah. dog's like, cool. I got credit for a mistake. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I tried that one time. I <laughs> ran him. I randomly just told kids, I'm like, hey, you're doing great today, even though they've done nothing. And they're like, what? And you could see them like, oh, like high school kids, you know, like they're almost adults. I tried that one time, random positive reinforcement and it changes their mood overnight. It's the same thing with dogs or, or like changes the mood instantly. Same thing with dogs. Yes. They're like, yeah. I do this thing when I sometimes before COVID, I did this kids camp in the summer for young kids and they would come and I'd have like 
20 kids and we would spend part of the morning um, teaching about something with animals. So I had a zoo because I have connections in my area. So I would have a zoo come and talk about uh-huh. zoos and groomers come and the vets come. And then I would talk about training and we did these things. And so then in the second half of the, tr- they got to train rats, bunnies, um, chickens, whatever animal I could get from this local person who has like basically a petting zoo. <laughs> um, and they would train them. And, but when we did the training, I was teaching about clicker training. I would set this thing up where I, and you should try this in your class. It's so fun. So you have one learner leave the room and the class decides what you're going to have that learner do. Usually it's something very simple, like walk up to the front of the classroom and touch the board or pick up a, you know, water bottle off the desk, something very simple. And I have them come in. And the first time, sometimes we'll do it traditional training. And so every, it's basically like hot and cold. We're basically playing hot and cold. So the closer they get, so if they go the wrong direction, we're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And then if they walk the right direction, we don't say anything. And so they're like, okay. Cause that's basically how traditional training is. You don't always respond to the good stuff. You just focus on the negative and these poor kids, you just watch their, emotional their self-confidence is like crushing (laughs) and then they finally get it and they're like that wasn't very fun and I said okay now you know let's try it again and I usually try to pick the more confident kid for that one and then a second volunteer goes out and we do a different trick and they come in and every time it's like hot and cold again every time they get closer to the end goal which is actually shaping they just don't know that fancy word yet yeah Um, we walk them and they get clicked every time they get closer too. And so the whole class is like click. And then I have to control the clicking because some kids get clicky, clicky, clicky. Like, yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like one click per behavior. And the kids have so much fun. And then no one wants to volunteer for the traditional training method. But then I have, can I do it? Can I do it? It's so and fun. It's, it's so fun. And they get to feel that emotional exertion of what positive training can do. And it really starts to get them to change their mindset. And that's partly what I love about your podcast is I'm trying to help these kids learn so that as adults, they don't even think traditional training. I want to go out the window. And I have had people say this to me that they, people do what they use. What are those choke chains for? And when I have that, I know we're making a generational Mm -hmm. change. Yeah, exactly. I, I, if you talk to kids that like the, they have no concept of a choke chain. Like I, I was trying to explain it. Like there, there's, I forget where it came up. Cause you know, the, I do talk about my dogs mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, we use, we use clicker treatments, not um, shock or collar treat. And they're like, what people used to do that. I'm like, well, you know, used we to. didn't, we didn't yeah, use, well, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm like the, that people didn't know better, but now we do. Exactly. And when we know better, we do better. And it's just such an important Hmm. thing. That's what I love about your podcast. What really engaged me when I I started learning about you is, you know, obviously, yes, you do all kinds of science, but seeing people don't see behavior as a science. Sometimes see, you know, people still see behavior as just like psychology doesn't get the same credit as Hmm. like biology or chemistry or some of those other sciences. I remember in college, people were like, I should have gotten a minor in psychology now looking back, but it was so shamed. It was almost like if you're a psychology major, you're taking the lazy route to college (laughs) and there's nothing you can do with it. And now I look at it and I'm like, wow, psychology is such an important science. That's huge. Well, even take dogs out of it and just talk about mental health. 
Hey, for sure. Especially, yeah, with everything in our world with COVID and all this stuff, when we start mm-hmm. to realize this, and I wrote The Evolution of Dog Training, my book, and it's, you know, all about how it went from traditional training, how we started, you know, in the, in Germany, you know, and, and way back a hundred years ago mm-hmm. and it's progressed. And I've had people tell me, you need to just change this book and make a new edition and have it be like relationship, like how we <laughs> used to be in relationship, punishing our kids, you know, the ruler with the teachers and, you know, all the harsh stuff that kids did to now where we're really learning that if you can reinforce and really boost that confidence, they do so much better. They enjoy their learning. You've probably seen that, you know, mm-hmm. if you're reinforced, learning's fun. Yeah. If you're constantly punished, learning's not fun anymore. And we need to translate that from us to our dogs and mm-hmm. our animals. Yeah. You, you, you don't learn anything if you're yelling at a kid, like, I just think in my life, I've screwed up at a job before. I worked a, you know, kind of a, a rough and tumble job in the oil patch for a year in Alberta. And I would, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I got yelled at and you learn nothing. Exactly. When you're getting yelled at, your brain's like, ah, and you, you, you just go into panic, right? So that is exactly, I interviewed a woman who um, is in Las Vegas and she does rattlesnake avoidance training, but it's all positive. And traditionally rattlesnake avoidance, if you've ever, or snake avoidance, if you've ever heard it, they use shock collars still. Traditionally, I mean, it's wow. like 90% of the trainers use a shock collar. So we were talking just like this on our podcast. And um, we were talking about how many dogs I see that go to that, like my clients will go not tell me about it. And then they come back and they're like, my dog isn't like men anymore or groups of dogs or new places. And I, fi- I started asking questions and they're like, well, yeah, we went to this rattlesnake avoidance because these dogs get, have a new handler and a snake is put in front of them and they're shocked when the handler thinks they're looking at the snake, but the dog may be looking to the blade of grass next to the snake. <laughs> you know, the dog may be daydreaming about what they're going to do later. The dog may be wondering why all these dogs that they don't know, or why is this person holding my leash? You know, the dog, we don't know what's going on in their head. Yeah. So then when we punish them, just like you got punished, you know, you got yelled at at work. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you're like, what did I do? I'm not even sure. Yeah, I had no idea. I was like, what's going on? Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. What part of that? And that's part of, um, you know, having my big thing is having empathy and compassion for our, our learners, whether mm. it's the human learner or the dog learner. And I find too, that as I get people to transition, if they cross over, the psychology of positive training makes it um, so they enjoy training their dogs more. I imagine with your dogs, you probably have fun training your dogs. Oh yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And then because we, you know, they're kind of social media darlings on Twitter. I have to take a lot of pictures of them. Um, the big guy Bunsen, our Bernice mountain dog, mm-hmm. we've, tra- I've trained him to wear costumes and hats and I built a suit of armor for him. So like he's all, but that's all done. And people are like, oh, it's so cruel to the end. No, I've trained them with positive reinforcement. And as soon as they know something like that's happening, they are like, oh my goodness, it's time to pose. Oh my goodness, it's time to do the thing with the camera. Mm -hmm. And it's the best part of their day uh, because they get tons of rewards, right? And for a big dog, just sitting there getting food, that is amazing. The only thing better for a big dog than sitting and getting food is lying down and getting food. (laughs) Right, exactly. Found, you probably find that with training that the big dogs, the lay, lay down and stay. They're like, <laughs> what? I do this for free. And now you're giving me 
you know, cookies. Like, that is total. Last night I had a puppy class and I have this huge, you know, dog and then, and then these little dogs and the little dogs are like, I don't want to lay down. You know, but the <laughs> yeah. big dog was like, I, I have the best downstay. I could downstay for hours and, yeah. and you're paying me to downstay. Awesome. Yeah, I do it, this anyways. This is 90% it, of my day. <laughs> what is probably the, the most fun thing you've done with your, um, your dogs for training purposes? For training, hmm. Um, Beaker, our golden, it got is we just started her with agility training, so I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, she loves it, she's really good at it, so that brings me joy because I'm like, everybody's like, yay, and they get woo, and she's so happy to do it. Um, with, with Bunsen, because he's trained to pose and, mm-hmm. um, and be very friendly. We got asked to take Bunsen and Beaker to to a science event, a science center. Cool. And they just were there to meet and greet the public. And it was like, he was a rock star. Like, they're like, hey, can we take a picture with your dog? And I'm like, sure. And he's like, (laughs) and he's just so happy because he gets a little cookie from me. And the people are so happy. Like, it's so good for science communication to to have a mascot like that is the face of science as well. So um, that's because I think people forget, like, that's why I wanted to have this podcast is I think people, they just think I'm just training my dog and they forget that training is a science. Like, you know, Uh there's, you know, they, they just kind of get stuck a little, not closed mind. That's not really the right word, but they don't think outside the box of like, oh, this is the brain. And this is, you know, we're, we're working on patterns and reinforcement and consequence and how that is all, you know, science. And I mean, psychology is all built on that. Yeah. But one thing I want to say that I really love too, that you just said is, so Beaker loves the agility and, and Bunsen probably being a big guy doesn't really, you know, agility is going to be like, um, okay, I'll do it, but it's really not my fun, but he loves greeting people. And I think we're getting there with science more because we're learning more about dog emotions and we're realizing that, wait a minute, they do have some of these emotional attachments. You know, Beaker's going to have more fun doing the agility, just like some people like to hike and some people mm-hmm. like to watch movies or some people like to swim and some people like to run or, you know, everybody has their likes. And I think as we start to dive in more, we're going to see that just because you're a golden retriever doesn't mean you always want to be friendly with everybody. Maybe you want to be more athletic or mm-hmm. every breed within itself has such a spectrum of behavior. Oh, absolutely. There, there's a massive study that just came out mm-hmm. about that. And we're talking to the author of it on my pod, on my podcast. Uh, and then on a live show at the end of June, Kathleen Morrill is her name. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. that amongst all of the breeds, only 11% of the traits were attributed to the breed. The rest were hodgepodge random. I um, remember when they were doing that study because as it, a behavior, you know, I get all these, you know, yeah, yeah, survey yeah. this and survey that and Darwin's dogs keep track. And it was, it was fascinating. It said like, what's your breed? And, and I see, I mean, I know that anecdotally because of being what I do. You exactly. Know, I, That's what they said in the study is dog trainers know this already. Dog breed has less to do. It's more dog personality. For sure. And I can't wait to, when you have that, you're going to have to share that podcast with us so we can share sure. it because <laughs> I, that's one thing when I have people who ask a lot about like, well, I want a golden retriever because I want X, Y, Z. And I'm like, how about what's more important? Do you want the look of the golden retriever or do you want a behavior? Because if you want the behavior, we may be getting a different breed Then you know, I might find you a dog that's 
maybe a Jack Russell that has the behavior you're want, looking for, even though it's not the breed you think, mm-hmm. but people get stuck on the breed. And like you said, it's a small percent that actually follow that stereotype. Yeah. Like Bernice mountain dogs are generally better at pulling because mm-hmm. that's like a core characteristic of their breed. Golden retrievers are generally more apt to swim yes. and, re- and retrieve, but you can have Bernice mountain dogs that like to swim, or you can have golden retrievers that like to pull. You could train a golden retriever to be a sled dog if you wanted to, if that's hey. what they wanted to do. So. Exactly. And that's yeah. where I think I've been doing this for a really long time. So there was hmm. no science on training when I started. Yeah, probably like, nothing. No eh? 20 yeah. years ago. And then I remember when we started having science, then of course, nobody believed the science. Like that can't also be possible. Mm. Like, you know, there was the doubts and then we had to have repeated studies. Yes. What I love now is 20 years later, they're studying characteristics, which I've been trying to explain to people <laughs> for all these years. I used to be like, well, I'm just a dog, you know, like dog training is not this big thing. But now I'm realizing, gosh, dog training needs, you know, more credit or behavior and mm-hmm. animal, even zookeeper. So I have a history of being a zookeeper. And when I was a zookeeper, it's kind of funny because positive reinforcement was in zoos before dogs, which I think is crazy, but you can't train a, you know, a killer whale or a, you know, a whale or a lion with, you know, some of these things, or they're going to eat you, you know? <laughs> and so uh, you have you need a heck of a big shark shock collar. Exactly. For a, and so for a whale, when I was in college and I thought I was going to be going towards vet, but I volunteered in zoos and I've been started working in zoos and I started seeing this positive reinforcement, you know, come in and it is a lot of why we do this is because we looked at these animals that we couldn't force. There was no way you could force them to do these behaviors, but we were able to get them to do the behavior because they did positive reinforcement. And so now when I look at what we do, and this is what I think is so fascinating with your podcast is you look at all sciences and it's not just about chemistry and biology anymore. No, no, it's not. And, and it just took time to build the capacity to study it because there wasn't any science because there wasn't any scientists trained to do the science. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the more science that's done, the more data sets that are out there. Um, and, and then, then there are more questions. It's yeah. that's what I love about science is the yeah. more you study, the more questions you have, it's never ending. And, you know, you're always learning because, and then you're always fine tuning because if we go back to some of the early science of dogs, you know, where the alpha stuff came, it was wolves, it was Mm. artificial, like it was the worst study ever for helping dogs in reality, because that's how the alpha and dominance theory kind of started. And even though it was debunked by the own scientists, us humans, you know, grabbed on, we want to be alpha a lot over things. Yeah. So, um, but even though that study was kind of bad really in some ways it was good because we started to go huh we need to think about how these animals are interacting the environment how do they interact with us and each other Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and and even from the behavior to like what we look on the podcast too is the health of the animals the science of the health of dogs and cats um and even how their brain works like sometimes it just takes a scientist to go huh, you know, we can look at how a human brain interacts when it's sleeping with, by hooking it up to an EKG or EEG machine. Why why hasn't anybody done that with a dog before? 
Yes. So, so they did, and they realized, holy heck, dogs sleep just like humans. It's yeah. identical. Well, and then you get on brains, and that's like, I'm so fascinated with brains. Yeah, it's you know, very cool. <laughs> where now, and then training in science comes together where they train the dogs to put their chins in the rest, in the chin rest, yep. to get an MRI. Yes. So now we can get dog brain MRIs while they're awake, not anesthetized. So it's very, yep. and yep. then we can test things like, you know, their human comes in and the same parts of the brain light up that a child's brain would light up when their parent, you know, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then studying things like the dopamine release, like there was a study a couple of years ago where you eye contact, you know, everybody's always saying, Oh, don't look at dogs in the eyes. And I always, always thought, well, I always look at my dog's eyes. You know, <laughs> we like in a loving way, you know, we yeah. like stare at each other lovingly, you know, and I never really, I understood the hard stare and I understood that. And then when the study came out showing that they have a dopamine release, just like we have an oxytocin release, and yeah. it feels good to them when we look into their eyes. I just think the science is going to be fascinating. And when I tell my clients, and you might even have seen this in science, dogs' brains are more like our brains than they're not like our brains. Yes, oh, absolutely. They, absolutely. They don't have this mouth. I think that they're more perceptive because they're not distracted by talking. Oh. <laughs> yeah they have a huge a huge part of their brain is devoted to their nose right yes yeah so and they that's the thing like their brain is very similar but it, they also experience the world so differently because they experience it through smell and we don't like we just don't yes and we have a hard time understanding that yes you know, exactly like yeah. when i i have to explain it to people because people will you know, i have a client right now that when her um their kids come home from school they're like barking and they they're like oh my gosh they're overwhelmed and I'm like it's the smell so what I have I have two clients doing this right now when their kids come home from daycare or school they take off their backpack they take off their sweatshirt whatever they were wearing and because the dog is jumping on these little kids and it's scaring the kids so I said mm. okay they're in their crate when they come home because they're already in they were already in there anyway yeah yeah so I'm like okay take the sweatshirt off take the backpack put it in or next to the crate and let the dog sniff it until all the sniffing is done then they can greet it and it's already making a difference. Then the excitement levels down because they've smelled all the smells they needed to smell. And it, it is when we understand this, that's why science is so important to training and behavior. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because we have to put those things together, you know, that the nose and is so sensitive. X, X occurs because of Y. Uh -huh. And then science has the receipts why that happens. Exactly. You, don't, you don't guess in science. You guess and you get data and you yes. make a conclusion. So it's very different than the, the, when the infancy of dog training started, where everybody's kind of just guessing and like, this works. Okay. Uh, you know, we don't know what's happening in that brain no, and all yeah. the damage we're doing. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Yeah. I know with the nose, I always tell people with noses like, okay, you smell cookies, but your dog smells eggs and butter and flour, like each molecule separately. They don't, have to smell the whole cookie. They smell all the individual parts of the cookie, you mm -hmm. know, that's being cooked. And so it is, it's pretty fascinating. And I think as we move forward, just like everything in science and you, I'm sure seeing this because you look at so many different kinds of science in this <laughs> podcast is um, the more we learn, just um, the better we can like understand and we can help and we can move forward in, in a more positive way. Yeah, in every aspect of science, um, 
when questions are answered, it leaves, leads to profound changes, mostly for the good in society. And if you just look at dogs, it's one microcosm of science. Mm-hmm. The more we learn about dogs, the more profound we are, more profoundly we are affecting things for the better. Exactly. And then the hard part, and you might see this, um, because I get asked this sometimes, if we know all this science and we know positive reinforcement's better and we have all the documented proof, why do people still use choke chains, pinch collars, and electric collars? And you know, and that, that idea of being wrong or that they did it wrong, that's a really big part of humans that we struggle. And you probably see that in a lot of science, you know? Yeah, not, not to get it, you know, too into the weeds, but mm-hmm. um, for example, our account does debunk misinformation in science, right? Mm-hmm. And the, you would classify this as misinformation, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, and it's very tough when people have whatever kind of like their information source isn't you, yes. right? And, and trusted people aren't you. So their worldview is very, very different than what we might think it is. Um, and, and you still have people that are 100% behind that a vaccine will cause autism. And that has been debunked over and over and over again. And yeah. it doesn't matter that a fun dog account might gently say that that's not true. Um, that their worldview is trapped within their, that area. So it just takes kindness and empathy um, to slowly change minds. And maybe you won't, but if you, if you go from, if you go at misinformation with a hard push mm-hmm. and a big punch and a, you, 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 you know, you use language that's demeaning, you'll never, ever win. You'll never win that way. I love that you said that because that is something that I talked to. Um, I just had a client last night, walked in to, you know, do a private training with me with a pinch collar. I knew she was going to have a pinch collar because she had written it in her intake folder, you know, mm-hmm. And I was just telling somebody, other trainers that I know that get that hard punch that don't get very many results because they come in in judgment. Mm. I didn't even say anything about the caller for probably like for quite a while. I said, you You need to make a relationship first. Yes, we made a relationship. We connected. And then I said, well, you know, one of the reasons your dog may be having this problem is he's experiencing pain every time this happens. And she looked at me like, what? But she had a trainer who told her that's the only way she could control her dog. What was so wonderful after two hours with this woman, she took it off and she said, I'm throwing this away and I'll be getting a harness when I, Uh I'm ordering a harness tonight. Yay. Exactly. And it was like, but exactly what you said, when we're dealing with science, science is scary for some people. Science is for people who aren't science. You and I get science. Like our brains are wired for science. We love Mm. science. I love learning. But there are people who are kind of scared of science or really doubt science. Yes. And so those people, it, we have to be gentle with them and we have to just let them slowly, you know, learn. And then I have found show, and you might learn this, see this too with your students, is show, not tell. Like show a little bit. Don't just keep dictating, but like really teaching and and showing like, well, this could be why and this could be why. And mm-hmm. um, this dog last night, you know, was, we did some recall. We were just doing a little game. The dog would bound to me and he had only known me, you know, an hour and a half by this point. If I said, come, the dog was like, yes, I'm coming to Shannon. (laughs) She's going to give me a treat. And like all excited. Mom said, come. And he like cowered and crept and she's never heard him, but come meant you were going to get locked up for her. 
comment, you know, you something, you know, you were going to get something was going to bad happen. And I have this happen all the time. Clients get sad and I'm like, it's okay. We can change it. But it's so, but if I had been judgmental to her, I was never going to be able to see how positive reinforcement mm-hmm. could actually help. So yeah. um, I think that's what I love um, about your podcast. And I love that you're educating, you know, you know, kids before we wrap up, what is the age range of people that check out your podcast? So it's a family show. Families listen to the podcast together, which is, it just warms my heart that, mm-hmm. you know, people are dry because it's about an hour show. It's long. Mm-hmm. Some families are on a road trip somewhere and they're listening it together. Uh, and, and then older, you know, adults listen to it while they're on a commute or mowing their lawns or at when they're at home. So the age range is it's from preteen mm-hmm. and then young kids with family all the way up to senior citizens. So it's, it's a wide range that listens to the science podcast. I think, and that's what I just think so good too, because sometimes it is that older generation, they've grown up, they didn't maybe know science before, Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't know it. And when you can do, you know, in a fun, gentle manner, um, I think it's, I get like a tickle in my heart when um, I have a, a client who's older, who's like trained dogs, you know, 50 years, and they come at me like, well, I have to use this method and this method. And then I turn around and like a year later, they're telling other people, you shouldn't use that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's that gentle, but also teaching them that this is what we've learned. And we just didn't know before. Yeah. And now we know better. Exactly. It's, it's empathy. You put yourselves in another person's position. That's what they were taught by what they thought was an expert. Exactly. What else are they, what else are they to expect? You can't get mad about that. Exactly. So, oh, Jason, I could talk to you all day about all. Me of too. I love this <laughs> <laughs> because I has and because of my science brain, like I'm really trying to control it, not going too on too many tangents because there's so many things I could ask you about. Um, if there was one thing that you would share, of, especially with you've had so many guests on your podcast that are behavior related and animal related. If there was one thing that while we close up that you could share with um, the audience that from what you've learned, what would that be? So I think two things. One is just a nerdy science thing. Uh, Dr. Emily Bray, I I love her. She was the the scientist that cracked the code of puppy pointing. Mm -hmm. And they proved conclusively that a puppy without any previous training understands a human point. And that is so profound when you think about that, that it's just ingrained in this creature's DNA from living with humans for thousands and thousands of years that they just know. And just to add to that, chimpanzees, our closest relative, you know, an animal, don't do that. They can't do it. No, No, they they can't can't do it. They haven't lived with us though. They haven't, they haven't. And we talk about the dog uh, history lots on the science podcast, like, new evidence, how long dogs have lived with humans. Um, but that's so profound. And then the, the one that changed my perspective of dealing with Bunsen and Beaker is what Dr. Todd said about just how dogs experience the world. Like they experience the world through smell. So when your dog is smelling and you take that away from them, Mm. like she really feels that does a disservice to the dog. So yes, you have to go on a walk. Yes. You have to accomplish goals. But you need to make time for them to smell. Yes. And she, she calls it a smell fari, or <laughs> which I love. And, and I've stopped being, you know, I've given the, 
Bunsen and Beaker time to smell. Yeah, I and, call them sniff. I tell my clients, okay, that you can have sniff walks, or if you got to mm. walk a certain place, you know, allow them give a cue. Okay, you can sniff now, like allowing yeah. them, yeah. depending, like you said, sometimes you got a place to be, you know, you got to exercise, um, yeah. you know, do And if you're doing an agility trial, it's really not beneficial. No. <laughs> <laughs> if they stop and sniff, yeah, yeah. you know, you're going to lose points. You're not going to win a competition. But afterwards, yeah, sniff away. Yeah, for sure. So, well, thank you, Jason, so much. Like I said, I could talk to you for hours, um, our <laughs> client's brain. Um, and thank you so much for joining me today um, on Backyard Pet Talks. Yeah, it's been super fun. So great. Well, thank you again. And and um, hopefully we'll get people to see both of your, um, check out your podcast too. You betcha. For right. science, empathy, and cuteness. Thank you so much. <laughs>